BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Ren Store. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 146, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you, my friend? I'm okay. We've still got working electricity and food for for the next few days. I was going to say, for now, yes. (laughs) Before we're fist fighting in the supermarket car park for sliced bread. So yes, it's all good here in the UK. Everything is brilliant. Nothing, Nothing to see. Move on. If Paul suddenly drops out of the call, it's probably because they've descended into anarchy. But I, I think we should be good for the remaining 90 minutes here. They've started burning bricks because it's all we've got left. <laughs> but anyway, moving on. Moving on, yes. Well, <laughs> I am, I'm, of course, I'm, I'm here in Montreal. Things are still going well. I was lucky enough to meet up with one of our patrons, Jen. She's a longtime patron of the show. She lives here in the city. So we had an opportunity to uh, hang out, which was very cool. I also got to sit down with another listener, uh, Billy, host or one of the hosts of the Nothing to Fear podcast, which was great. Uh, she and I went out for lunch yesterday, and I I had a uh, a very lovely hamburger with with an egg on it and some some kind of sausage. It was tasty. It, it cost me thirty fucking dollars, but it was tasty, and it was uh, it was nice to meet Billy. Billy and I actually met in uh, Patreon. Uh, it's called an accountability group. It was sort of it was their attempt to kind of cross pollinate shows and get people together and. And again, her show is Nothing to Fear, and that is a show where she and her co-hosts watch horror films. And uh, you know, up until, I wouldn't say two years ago, she was too scared to watch horror movies. So this is sort of her catching up on a lot of the stuff she missed. It was actually kind of funny. She said, you know, when I was in high school, it was the, the, the horror movies that were coming out was Saw and things like this. And I realized like, yeah, I was out of high school by that point. Oh, Christ, I feel old. Okay. I'm not, not saying anything now. Yeah, that's yeah. No, no comment, Mister Bestel. Mm-hmm. I think I was out of high school when Candyman came out. <laughs> that's right. That's why we have to wrap this up quick so Paul can get to bed. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got to. I've got to talk to the mirror in the bathroom. 
<laughs> but it's when it yeah. talks back, you got to worry. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've been indulging myself in a lot of, I've watched both those amazing In Search of Darkness documentaries on Shudder finally. Oh, yeah, I saw that. How were those? Oh, wonderful. Really? Mm. Oh, yeah. Fabulous. Nine, nine and a half hours of my life that I don't want back. <laughs> Man, I thought, I thought I'd watched a lot when I watched the, uh, was it the six and a half hour documentary about Nightmare or uh, Friday the 13th? But mm-hmm. that is next level. Yeah. It's a good job I've done it because apparently part three is out in a couple of weeks. And that's, oh. and, and that's nearly five hours long. Holy shit. I better get started on this myself. Yeah. No, brilliant. Loved them. Re- you know, just chock full of really good interviews and uh, film, some, um, some films I've never heard of. Some films I've just gone, oh, my God, like Chopping Mall. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, Jim Wynorski. And, uh, and other such classics along with all the big ones like the friday the 13th and halloween and touching on the uh, wave of 3d stuff and then lost gems like critters and brilliant i remember being at a sleepover when i was a little kid and uh someone smuggled one of the guy one of the kids you know let me say kid we made like nine ten but someone smuggled in a copy of critters we weren't <laughs> the, the, the the kid i was staying with his parents didn't like us watching that kind of stuff but he smuggled it in so we're sitting down in the living room watching Critters. And I guess his mom figured out that, okay, you know, these guys are watching something. Ordinarily wouldn't want them watching it. But she thought, well, I'm going to teach them a lesson. So after the movie was over, and I mean, Critters is a comedy, but we're kids, right? So we're all head up. And all of a sudden, there was like a some kind of round fuzzy pillow or furry pillow she had. And she just chucked it in the middle of us. And I there nearly had to throw the carpet out, Paul. <laughs> It was it was very bad, uh, it was very very funny. But yeah, I've never I've never actually seen Critters as an adult, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to revisit that. Yeah, yeah. I want. To, I mean, the thing is, it's just sparked so many memories of films I haven't seen for thirty years. So oh, uh, yes, my uh, my uh, watch list has been ever expanding ever since. Excellent. Well, I myself um, have been watching the show Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Yeah. And it was sort of fortuitous because the last episode I watched was set on a cruise ship. And of course, you know, the cruise ship is meant to be at sea. But I was, as I was watching the episode, I thought, hang on, I bet that's a Queen Mary. Mm. And sure enough, it was. And of course, the Queen Mary, famous haunted ocean liner, docked permanently in Long Beach, California. I know I've talked about my experiences on the Queen Mary, I want to say about two years ago. I was there. I took my mom there. But we'd always wanted to do an episode, a haunting of the Queen Mary episode. And we'd been trying to, we had a guest we wanted to get. And we've been trying to sort of make our schedules work. This is something that I, I think we've been trying to put this together since early August, basically since I got back from LA myself. But we couldn't make it happen. And then the very week that we finally get the schedules together is the week I happened to watch the episode of Kolchak set on the Queen Mary. And I thought, okay, well, this is, this is a good sign. It's a yeah, sign. Exactly. So on this episode, not only will we be telling stories from the Queen Mary, but we have a very special interview with Craig Owens. Craig is a historian and the creator of Bizarre Los Angeles, and is sort of a really kind of this, this great umbrella for all these things he does, like the incredible photography, his book Haunted by History, and a, a bunch of other stuff he does. We'll talk about it in, in the interview segment with him. But what Craig will be doing is Craig will be helping us set the table for some of the stories because the Queen Mary obviously is very well known. There's a lot of bullshit stories, uh, as we'll learn, including some that I actually thought were real because of the episode of Unsolved Mysteries, which first made me aware of the Queen Mary. 
And so Craig helps us break down some of those myths, but also tells us some stories that of his own, which confirm that, you know, he, he does also believe there is activity there, as I do as well. So it, it's a really great interview and our patrons are going to be in for a real treat because Craig was very generous at this time. We had a, a lot of extra tape and our patrons will get the full unedited interview, which is very cool. And speaking of patrons, it's time to thank our latest ones. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the Peter James to our Jackie, which is to say, without without you, who's to say we even exist at all? <laughs> That's going to make a lot more sense after you hear the interview with Craig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't waste the 90s watching sightings. Or that, or that. For real, though, everyone who listens to Ghost Story Guys helps make this show what it is. But patrons, you're the ones who allow the show to continue. Without you, we wouldn't be able to do it. So we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we would especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are Foxy Watson, Lisa, Adam Crank, Ryan, Laurie Clam, Venice Witch, Sonia Lenardon. Guys, thank you so, so much. I, we cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. From the bottom of our terrible, terrible hearts, thank you. And if you'd like to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We'll wait till the end of the show to tell you about all the cool shit you get. But we will say, for a dollar a month, you get an ad-free feed. And who doesn't want that? Ads suck. And again, that's a dollar a month at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. And just before the break, we'd like to shout out our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of film journalist and composer Jerry Smith. And we can finally publicly congratulate Jerry now uh, because it has been announced. They are the composer for the latest Puppet Master film, Dr. Death, for Full Moon Pictures. And Jerry, I know, is thrilled. And it's sort of one of those things that's kind of a funny coincidence, Paul, because you telling me to watch Puppet Master is how I really kind of got to know Jerry. And then I would chat, you know, kind of over Twitter uh, while I was watching the movies. You know, I'd say, oh, I'm watching Puppet Master 3. It's, you know, X or Y. And Jerry would chime in and go, oh, yeah, no, this and this and this. And now they are scoring a Puppet Master film of their own. And so just huge congratulations to Jerry. That's, that's such a coup. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with an, our interview with Craig Owen of Bizarre LA and some fabulous Queen Mary ghost stories. Welcome back. As we said before the break, on this episode, we're going to be telling stories of haunting from the Queen Mary, which is, of course, a, a famous ship docked in Long Beach, California. But before we do that, we are fortunate enough to have a fantastic guest. This is someone I met when I was in Los Angeles. I took one of his guided tours of Hollywood, had a great goddamn time. And so I'm very excited to welcome him here. He is a historian, photographer, author of the fabulous Haunted by History Volume 1, tour guide, and the man behind Bizarre LA, Craig Owens. Craig, welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. And thank you for asking me. I, I love talking about the Queen Mary. It's it's such a cool place. You know, I, I was just watching an, uh, an episode of Kolchak a couple of days ago, and it's, it's set on a cruise liner out at sea, but it's very clearly the Queen Mary. And <laughs> I've only been there the once, but it, it just really made me want to go back because it is such a cool place to just to hang out, even setting aside 
uh, the haunted aspect of it. It's just a cool place to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I haven't had a lot of personal paranormal experiences there. Um, but it, I've mo the times that I have been there, it has been with like family. Uh, I did stay there a couple of nights. And then when I was researching for my book, I, I did some photo shoots there on not just one occasion, but two separate occasions. And what I used the photographs for is to try to stir up paranormal activity by recreating certain personalities, sometimes recreating ghost stories in the haunted or allegedly haunted areas themselves, just to see what might happen. Uh, and I, I guarantee you, after staying on a location for three, four, five days in a row, shooting at all hours of the day and night during a slow period of time, you, you definitely have an idea of whether or not there's any merit to the ghost stories or not. And with the Queen Mary, that was one of the last places I really wanted to do for the book because it had been so overdone. Sure. Um, and I felt that there was great pressure, <clears throat> peer pressure among paranormal investigators to come up with something, anything, if you're going to investigate there. It got kind of clownish where I, I thought that seriously, if, if you were a paranormal group or investigator and you went and investigated the Queen Mary and you came back and said, I didn't catch anything, all your peers will think you're a terrible paranormal investigator. <laughs> you, know, you, have to, you have to find, how can you not find anything? So this, I think, led to a lot of fake stories and false positives being passed sure. off as paranormal evidence. It's just that desperation that's kind of implied that if you're going to investigate the Queen Mary, one of the most haunted places in all the world, then you better come up with something or you're a loser. Right. So this was one of the reasons why I didn't want to do it, because I didn't want that kind of pressure. I was very skeptical as to whether or not how it was haunted or how haunted it was. I mean, I was open-minded. I figured, well, if, if any place has a history and a lot of historic places are haunted, the Queen Mary certainly has a right to be haunted. It fits all the qualifications. What exactly are we looking for? And whether or not we can find it or not was something I just had reservations about. Sure. And before we get into your experiences during that time, I, I wonder if we could just run a little bit uh, for our audience who are unfamiliar with Queen Mary. I wonder if you could run us a little bit through her history sort of as a, you know, as an ocean liner and then, you know, her military service and, and just, just a quick sketch of how she ended up docked in Long Beach. There were a lot of ships being built and used in the early 20th century. And this was before the airplane really took over doing international flights. And countries, whether it be France, Spain, Germany, Britain, and the United States, all wanted to have their special pride and joy luxury liners. And Britain was particularly interested in keeping up appearances by having like really first class cruises going across the Atlantic. And so right before the Great Depression, they decided that they needed to update their fleet. So the government stepped in and did subsidize the building of the Queen Mary. 
it was kind of like what the United States did with the car manufacturers during the Great Recession. You know, it was subsidized. They built this fabulous ocean liner that was supposed to be second to none. The Queen Mary continued to be a very well-known, much-loved luxury liner. It was where the wealthy, primarily the movie stars and all that, uh, they could cross the Atlantic in style. But they also had some cabins for people that were on more of a budget. It did this until World War II. The Queen Mary was actually on a... um, a voyage at the time when they got the message to go to New York immediately. It sat in a dock for a long time. They painted it gray by 1940, late 41, 42, when the U.S. joined World War II after the bombing at Pearl Harbor. It became necessary to get American troops over to Europe as quickly as possible. So the Queen Mary was adapted successfully into a transport ship, but they gutted it. They took out all the Art Deco stuff, the swimming pool that used to, you know, have water, now had stacks of bunkers from the bottom of the pool all the way to the top. They used every conceivable space possibly for troop transport. There was an accident that happened during World War II where The Queen Mary was on its way to Scotland. It had a escort made up of smaller gray ghosts. One was a little ship called the Kurosawa. And the fault was with both ships, but they crossed ways. And the Queen Mary being massive and faster than the smaller ship, it collided and cut the Kurosawa in half. Mm. And it killed a number of troops doing that that were on the Kurosawa. And the Queen Mary had orders to keep, keep going and not even stop to save the prisoners, or not prisoners, but the, the victims of the Kurosawa. Uh, that really did happen. It didn't get revealed until around the end of the war uh, because it, all of these voyages were top secret military secrets, you know, and, and they right. didn't want any negative news to be released. They also didn't want the Queen Mary's whereabouts to be known. Then after Hitler was defeated, then the Queen Mary started doing bride and baby voyages where they were literally bringing uh, women from Europe and their children, spouses, future spouses of American servicemen, bringing them from Europe to New York. And these were still classified uh, voyages. So nothing was declassified. Kennard still did not own the Queen Mary and took no responsibility for whether or not people made it on safely or not, you know. (laughs) And then after this went on for several years, after World War II officially ended, the, the military finally gave the Queen Mary back to Kennard, and it took a long time to get the Queen Mary turned back into a luxury liner. They didn't put it back exactly the way it was uh, prior to that, but they they did they they did a lot. They did most of the work. It, it did really well for a while, 
but only for a little while because beginning in the 50s, airplanes started to take people across the Atlantic. And as it became more affordable and more air flights became trusted and, and became more popular, it started affecting the ocean liner business and people were less reliant on these luxury liners. So by the late 50s, uh, the Queen Mary was still prestigious, but its business was in decline. By the 60s, in really bad shape. And the city of Long Beach out here in Southern California, they had the winning bid. They had this idea of turning it into an aquarium. They had all these kind of crazy ideas about what they wanted to do with it. And that was, they handled it very disastrously. And that's one of the problems that we're now facing today. The Queen Mary has been in Long Beach longer than it was ever out in ocean, in the ocean. That's a thing that most people don't realize. And it's been closed for a number of years because it literally is falling apart in places. In the uh, late 60s, rumors started swirling among the crew members that there were ghosts on the Queen Mary, got picked up by a British newspaper. And they start, believe it or not, what's, what is that? Um, oh gosh, he was a big paranormal guy in the 70s. Um, Hans Holzer. You okay. guys familiar with Hans Holzer? Sure. <laughs> Okay. Yep. He wrote a letter to the city of Long Beach in around 1970 asking if he could investigate the Queen Mary. That bugged the city so badly that they decided to uh, not promote the paranormal, not even want their employees to talk about it anymore. And of course, they turned down Hans Holzer from doing it. But that's what kind of sparked this no ghost talk about the Queen Mary uh, in the in the 70s. And even though things were still going on, at one point, the let's just call it the Queen Mary tourist attraction, they actually did play around with the paranormal. Most people don't know this, but they actually did do some kind of experiment, kind of a trial balloon in the mid 70s. And it only lasted a couple of months. It was a big disaster for them. <laughs> but what they decided to do is in that over gutted bottom of the ship, former ship, uh, where the boiler rooms used to be, they had a they hired an actor to be a ghostly captain. Oh, boy. And then they recorded a audio track. They hired a British person to uh, hire a to do voice work. And it's like, hi, I'm the ghost of Captain so-and-so here, and then I'm here to show you the Queen Mary, you know, as it was in its glory days. Uh, apologies to all British people out there. Um, <laughs> I guarantee you what they recorded probably wasn't much better than what I, what I did. <laughs> right. So while this sound system, the soundtrack would play, this actor would lip sync to oh boy. the voice. And then it'd be like flashing lights, but this was them playing with ghosts, okay? The problem with this is that there were technical glitches. So it'd be, hello, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you know, and, and 
I'm your host, you know, and it, it, it would change speed or break right. altogether. And so what's this actor supposed to be doing? You know, so <laughs> that got scrapped really quick where they, they just didn't do that anymore. And then they went back to, well, don't ask, don't tell about the ghosts. But employees were having experiences there. And then around 1981, 82, 83, Jack Rather Corporation had taken over the lease of the Queen Mary. And he floated his own trial balloon in 1983 by inviting a Los Angeles, uh, I'm sorry, Long Beach reporter, local reporter, to spend the night in the haunted Queen Mary investigating for ghosts. And so they got a reporter to do that, a really well-known one. And he wrote about his experiences in the next day, in the next uh, printing of the paper. Um, it was kind of guarded. You know, it was like, oh, it could have happened. It was certainly creepy. Some things I did hear a few weird noises, but, you know, is it haunted? I don't know for sure. However, there was good enough to get people really excited about the ghosts. And then by 1985, 1986, the marketing for the paranormal began. And it turned out to be the most successful marketing strategy that the Queen Mary had. It was the paranormal actually brought people back more than once. So that's why it grew from there. <laughs> and that's right. why, uh, you know, they added the, the special effects tour. They added the uh, dining, you know, um, uh, what was it called? Room with the Boo. They had packages called Room with the Boo, where, <laughs> you know, you could have dinner and, and then go ghost hunting. And then they had, uh, you know, various psychics that they hired to lead tours and Disney was the one that added the special effects tour. They, they didn't want to officially own it. They didn't want it to be Disney's, you know, Queen Mary, right. but they did want to see whether or not it was marketable to go with this paranormal thing. So they held on to the lease for about a year. They were literally sending some of their ride uh, engineers to go through the Queen Mary to look for ideas on building a ride at Disneyland. Okay. Uh, that were, that had, and the tower of terror that it eventually ended up at Disneyland. Uh, what's the other park that's right next to Disneyland. That's California uh, adventure. Yeah. Yeah. California adventure that actually incorporated some of the ideas that they had pulled from the Queen Mary. I have a question for you. I, yeah. In speaking about, you know, sort of these, these special effects tours. So are you, is that to say that um, at some point they have had tours, which sort of have uh, experiences built into them? Yes, that's exactly what Disney did. Interesting. And so are you, and, and the reason I want to ask this particular question is because it pertains to a story that uh, we'll be telling later in the show. Are you aware of whether or not any rooms were rigged up to provide that experience, or was it just the common in common areas? Yes, as part yes. Of the, the most the, the one that they had introduced, and we're charging people like five hundred bucks a night to stay there, yeah. uh, and they furnished it with Ouija boards and different things that you can ghost hunt while you're in the room. Um, yeah. Well, I'll just tell you, you 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 guys probably know this already, but if any room at any haunted location 
goes through the effort of bringing crystal balls and Ouija boards for you to investigate, <laughs> chances are it's not a haunted room. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, that should be a red flag yes. from the get go. But yeah, that was actually the room that Disney had used back in okay. the day. See what, what Disney did. Uh, I forgot the name. It was like room 250 or something like that, but our cabin 250, what Disney did is they had a couple of, of uh, routes that they came up with. When I talk about routes, it's where they were gonna take tourists uh, along. Right. And so they came, they had this playroom that they thought, ooh, this is cool. So they piped in children's laughter, you know, Interesting. From, from there, but they needed something along that pathway, down that hallway. And so there were two storage rooms that hadn't been used since the 60s, maybe even earlier, they knocked down the walls and turned two cabins into one. They cleared out everything. And then they completely rigged it. They rigged it with a two-way mirror. They had a rocking chair that rocked back and forth. They had a faucet that would turn on and off by itself. Oh, wow. And they had uh, blood stains deliberately put on the floor. <laughs> And then when they made this promotional film for their haunted attraction, they actually got housekeepers to say, oh, yes, that's the most haunted room. We, we had to close it down and not let anyone stay the night there because too much activity happened. Would this be B340? That's it. Yeah, fascinating because I when I was watching, I mentioned you off air. I, I tried to watch some YouTube documentaries about haunting on the Queen Mary yeah. and they were all so full of bullshit. I couldn't really yeah. stomach them. But yeah. to know that this quote, most haunted room, which was the subject of a number of these quote documentaries is the room that they just picked to be the haunted room is yeah. it just fills my heart with joy knowing these guys are not only full of shit, but they're transparently full of shit. Oh yeah. Well, if they bother to look, you know, in the newspapers, the LA times, it is documented. They literally say, it was jerry-rigged. It wasn't even a secret that it was jerry-rigged. They even had the Queen Mary used to have historians as part of the staff. And even at that time, the historian went in an interview with the LA Times, you know, literally said that no cabin has ever been closed due to paranormal activity and that this one is just marketing and is rigged to be that way. Now, when Disney gave up its lease it got into a snit fit with the city of long beach but when disney departed they took most of their gadgets out of that room and then a man named prevatel found a wealthy investor to partner with them and he released the queen mary around 1990 i believe into 1990 so they reopened it and in time they put together kind of a smaller scale special effects driven thing, but they started opening up room B340 or whatever it was as the most haunted room, but it was without special effects. Right. And they dusted off some of the stories that were made up about the room, especially about murders and whatnot, and started reintroducing it. Now, there's one character that I haven't really talked about that did a lot to spread the word about the Queen Mary's um, 
haunted reputation. And it it's a guy who was a psychic on sightings. His name is Peter James. James. He has a whole <laughs> like I know he has a whole like minor cult following that that get really irritated anytime you call into question anything yeah. that that yeah. guy did. Peter and the ghost of Jackie, isn't it? Yes. Well, Peter <laughs> was a piece of work. He wouldn't tell people what his age was. He wouldn't, you know, talk. He, Peter James wasn't even actually his real name um, or his birth name and shrouded so much of his past in mythology or just evading questions yet would get bent out of shape if you didn't trust him, <laughs> you know, or didn't believe everything he said. Well, they had a official psychic under Disney. Her name was Karen Prasant. And I've actually interviewed Karen and asked, because Peter used to say he was the main guy. Uh, Karen was like, I didn't even know he was psychic. <laughs> she literally told me that. <laughs> and uh, she said that I, he was just some guy that got permission to set up cameras, you know, around the, the underbelly of the Queen Mary. And uh, we were told to just leave him alone and let him do his thing. So that's what they did. They kind of let him alone to do his thing. And he did record, to his credit, a ghost child's voice. And he got so excited about it that he submitted it to the Queen Mary's management office, the marketing team, who were so excited about it that they immediately took this hardcore evidence and put it on the Rick D's uh, radio morning show. <laughs> and believe it or not, Disney still owns that recording and it's in their vault. Peter James making up Jackie Torrin, saying that she drowned in the second class swimming pool and then later changing it to be the first class swimming pool is all fiction. And he was basing this on what the Jack Rather and later Disney were telling people. And then he made up another female altogether who drowned that I forgot her name, but the ghost name, but she's supposed to be kind of the chaperone of Jackie. <laughs> and uh, it's not really worth remembering the name of these ghosts because they're all fiction. And so during your investigations, did you ever, uh, ever encounter anything in the pool area? Yes. Actually, what I encountered during the my uh, Haunted by History actually falls in line with the ghostly reports about the first class swimming pool from the 1950s. And it makes okay. more sense. Uh, the ghost stories surrounding the first class swimming pool had to do with uh, and and the porters that would have to go in and hose down the dressing rooms at, you know, right before closing the swimming pools for the night. Um, the, a lot of them hated going down there alone with a hose to hose it down. And the common story was they were hearing what sounded like American men calling out for help or banging on the walls. And this makes a lot of sense because when it was the transport ship during World War II, that's exactly who was being crammed into that space, American servicemen. Right. So to hear male voices, not children's, not females, but male voices calling out and trying to talk 
um, and with not a distinguishable British accent, it sounded very uh, American, it, it kind of fits in with, with the history yet again. And so when I was doing a photo shoot uh, to try to trigger paranormal activity, uh, I had a friend of mine, a real beautiful uh, blonde named Renee, uh, I put her in a 1930s one-piece tight-fitting swimsuit. And we went down there from midnight to 4 a.m. with a security guard with us. And it just, it was me, my brother, Renee, and the security guard. So four of us total. Uh, we all had cameras. I made a point of putting recorders all over in every corner of the um, swimming pool area. So I had more recorders going than I actually had people in there because I wanted to know the source of every single sound, where it came from, if we right. catch anything. So while I'm shooting, uh, apparently around Renee was where we were catching voices. And the most compelling one, and I don't know how we, I have an idea as to why we didn't hear it, but it, it should have been loud enough to where we did hear it. We, we all should have heard it. It was caught on every single recorder in the room, but it was an urgent male voice called out, listen. Just like that. Listen. Huh. And that was it. But it was loud. And it was loudest by Renee's recorder, which was on the opposite side of the pool from where I was. And no one was around that recorder. But that was where the voice emanated from. It was the loudest of the voices. Now, the reason why I think we didn't hear it, and this is what they don't tell you, and these documentaries and YouTube videos is that there are several doors and doorways to hallways that go into the first class swimming pool. And the first class swimming pool is a maddening echo chamber. Hmm. So it could have said, listen, and it was such an echo chamber that because of that echo effect, we didn't hear it. But I know on YouTube, there are videos where it sounds like a blood curdling scream that was recorded. I know there's one group that claims this and we got that blood curdling scream too on our recorders, but because I had recorders all around the place, uh, I could hear where it came from and what it was. And it was actually Queen Mary employees laughing down a corridor. Oh. But by the time <laughs> it, the echo and the voices reach the uh the the swimming pool it does sound like a scream right <laughs> but i fortunately i had a recorder right in the hallway i matched all the sound you know tracks up so i know exactly what i'm listening to and yeah it's just two employees laughing and joking in the hallway so <laughs> i think anytime you hear any kind of scream recorded in the first class swimming pool uh, I would highly doubt that it's paranormal, but there really is something there. It's just, uh, you know, what Peter James said in the eighties that there were 500 over 500 ghosts on there. Uh, <laughs> oh. He kept, he kept changing his numbers. And then he finally said, well, I'm aware of 
out of that 500, I'm aware of 25. And then, oh. uh, but I've only spoken to about seven or eight. You oh, know? Boy. So um, I would say, you know, based on all of the different descriptions through the years, there's at least 15. I know some people go, oh, there's a lot more than that. But no, there are 15 that are are seen fairly often and the descriptions kind of match up, you know, depending on the different reports. So there may be more, there may be less, but 15 is a nice round number. That works. We'll start <laughs> nice there. Nice round odd number. <laughs> <laughs> so Craig, where would everyone find you online? My website is bizarrela.com or as some people confuse it with bizarrella <laughs> um uh you can find me on instagram bizarre underscore los underscore angeles and i'm on facebook under bizarre los angeles amazingly enough you can uh a lot of people know me by that moniker now my book you can find on amazon it's called haunted by history volume one uh separating the facts and legends of eight historic uh, hotels and inns in Southern California. It's a mouthful. Um, the book does not cover the Queen Mary that will be in volume two. Right. But volume one covers the Hotel Del Coronado, the Mission Inn, the Alexandria Hotel in downtown LA, the Glen Tavern Inn, and some others that you may not be quite as familiar with, but you should. Very cool. Well, folks, I can honestly recommend if you're in Los Angeles, if Craig is given a tour while you're there, you're definitely going to want to check that out. You will not find a better walking tour in all of Los Angeles. And uh, I can't wait to get back and, and uh, have another sit down with you, my friend. Oh, yes, definitely. Over some fried pickles, maybe. <laughs> I'll be walking a little more by then, but I'm always up for fried pickles, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was great. That was. All right. Well, our guest has been Craig Owens owner of Bizarre LA, one of Los Angeles's best historians of the haunted kind or otherwise. Make sure to check out his stuff online. Craig, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. Thank you. Truly blessed to be on your show. Patrons of the show will get Craig's full interview. The, you folks here are listening on the public feed. You'll only get a, a very a, a selection of highlights. But if you're a patron at patreon.com slash guys, you'll get the entire one hour and 15 minute interview. Craig was very generous with his time, and there is so much knowledge. I cannot stress enough how much you're going to want to check that out again. That's patreon.com slash guys. But for now, on with the stories. Lights, camera, holy shit. I've always been enamored with the idea of spirits. Shows like Most Haunted, Ghost Hunters, and so on, always fascinated me when they were on TV. But a strong sense of self-preservation, for lack of a better phrase, kept me from actively seeking out the paranormal. I was always of the mind, if a ghost has something to say to me, they'll come and find me. In 2009, I was just under a year from graduating film school. A project came up where we had to create a three-minute television segment about places to go, things to do and see in and around the Los Angeles area. I immediately thought about the Queen Mary. I'd never been aboard her, and had always been curious, so I contacted their PR department, and they agreed to let me film there. Stepping on board, I felt no ill will towards myself, no sense of dread, no urgent need to turn and run. In fact, I felt quite comfortable. 
I've always believed myself to be a little bit sensitive, being able to feel out the emotional vibes of a situation without being a full-on medium or psychic. It hadn't failed me before, so I was content to remain and go on the tour that had been arranged for us. The majority of the tour was interesting from a historical point of view, and all seemed calm. We walked across a catwalk high in one of the former engine rooms into a narrow hallway about 45 minutes into the tour. I was first in the line of people that were with us, just behind the tour guide. The guide stopped about 10 yards off the catwalk and opened the door to our left. Whatever calm, safe feelings I had immediately vanished with a rush of air that came through the door towards me. Every single hair on my body stood on end, and I took two physical steps back and everything within me screamed out, no, do not go in there. I looked towards my cameraman who watched me with a raised eyebrow. I felt like a fool for reacting so powerfully to what seemed to others like just a door opening, but there was no way I wanted to go in that room. As the others shuffled by us, the guide announced that I could not stay in the hallway because we were not leaving through the same door. He disappeared into the room, and my cameraman followed, stopping just inside the doorway to wait for me. Taking a deep breath, I stepped forward into a room that I had heard of, but had never been in. The infamous first-class pool area. We stayed in the room for around 20 minutes or so, as the guide told the story of the legend of the room and what it supposedly holds, a vortex, to the other side. And it's open to any and all spirits, not just those who died aboard the ship. Oh, that's handy. For those of you who have not been on board the Queen Mary, the first-class pool area is separated into two levels, the first being the pool level, the second being the observation level. Near the end of our time in the room, I was up on the observation level, with only my cameraman and the tour guide on the same level. Everyone else in the group was on the pool level. I was standing with my back towards a wall, facing my cameraman, who had his back towards me and both of his hands holding the camera. And the guide was about 10 to 15 feet to my right. I was thinking how well everything was going when I felt the slow, deliberate tug on the hood of my hoodie, like someone had either brushed by me or wanted to get my attention. Not really thinking much of it, I turned to my left. Perhaps someone in the group had come up and brushed behind me to get past me. There was no one there. Hmm. Interesting. I turned to my right. No one there except the guide, and he's nowhere near close enough to touch me. I turned in a complete circle, and still nothing. Burying my impulse to start screaming like a little kid, I calmly walked over to the guide, feeling invisible eyes watching me. I told him what happened, and I felt like I needed to leave the room immediately. He smiled, and as he gathered the group to leave the pool area, he said that he had been waiting for something to happen. He proudly stated that on every tour he gave, it never failed that at least one person would have an experience. Turns out I had been singled out as the one for that day. And so it, it's sort of interesting, Paul, like revisiting these stories now uh, from like when I put them together and then after talking to Craig and realizing how much bullshit there is. Mm. But interestingly enough, you know, as we learned from him, he did have an experience in the pool area. I think the thing that for a lot of people is the Queen Mary seems to be one of those locations that 90% of it is just exaggerated nonsense or purely or, or, or pure fakery masquerading sure. as paranormal investigations from earlier decades, shall we say? <laughs> yes. But there are germs of truth to a lot of them. But I think these are the ones, because at the end of the day, it's a very, it is a haunted location. Yeah. But I think it doesn't have that Hollywood aspect to it that it's not, people aren't seeing faces coming out of the, shit bulkheads or screams right. in the night or stuff. These are 
in my opinion, it's it's quite a gentle series of hauntings, and I think that's the problem with it. That legend and fact have become so intermeshed over the last thirty years that it's difficult to unpick it all. So, yeah, I know one of the things he was saying just as we were winding up there was about how uh, what was it? Supposedly, according to Peter James, there were five hundred ghosts and. When I was, as I mentioned, you know, I watched a bunch of stuff on YouTube just to kind of research. I read a book about the Queen Mary. But one of the things that I noticed is the amount of bullshittery on those videos. Like I, I can even tell just by the thumbnail, the, the number of people who, yeah, they have this expression on their face. Like you can't see what Paul's doing. But yeah, this like this like terrified, you know, Thanos is about to make the snap face where you think, yeah, they spent the whole time having the shit beat out of them by uh, by a poltergeist. <laughs> And one of the things they said was this one guy's like, there are 600 people who have died on this boat. And I couldn't figure out where he got that figure. But clearly, obviously, this Peter James figure of 500 ghosts has now turned into 500 people being murdered. And because, you know, it can't just be 500 people being dead there. It's like, you know, 600 people have died on this boat. Like if 600 people have died on a boat, get off that boat. <laughs> Like Ghost Ship, I saw in, in the opening of the film Ghost Ship, something like 100 people get cut in half. That's enough for them to mothball the ship. You're saying six times that number of people have died on this tub and the whole place isn't just a wash in blood like the elevator doors from The Shining were left open? No, I don't buy it. <laughs> I will say, though, the there's the quote in there um, how they, you know, they, they felt like they didn't want to go through the door into the next room. And obviously nothing really happened. But you always wonder what happens in those situations where you have that that feeling, but you can't reasonably not do the thing. Mm. So you just go through with it. And it got me thinking about what was that school where the kids, the school was, was it a rock slide or something? Oh, Abafan. That's it. Yeah. And there was the whole school was destroyed, correct? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, 90% of it. it it's a horrendous incident that um, even even the whole loss of life and the behavior of the coal board trying to cover it up afterwards. Not not much of it comes out well, to be honest, from authorities to governments to other than, you know, the residents and the and the local police. And obviously the people around there were, were heroes trying to do their damnedest to to try and find it. But you know, I think oh, I'm trying to think over a hundred children were, were killed that day. And there was a, at least one example of a kid who I, I was, it was a little girl. I recall you telling me the story. Oh yeah. She... There's, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, um, I think there's at least four or five children who were having premonitions. And one of them said to her mother about a week before she was looking out the window wistfully and she just turned around to him and said, Oh, I'm, I'm not afraid of dying. And her mum said, what, what do you mean? And she said, Oh yeah, well, when I die, I know. And she mentioned two of her friends. They'll, they'll be there with me. I oh, won't be alone. Man. And she didn't think anything of it. And then obviously a week later, the the uh, the coal heat collapsed right. and, and swamped the school. And all three of those children were, were killed. So the, the reason I bring that up is because I was I just finished reading a book called Deep Waters. Hmm. And it's, um, it's an account of the Lake Temiskaming tragedy here in Canada in 1978. Are you familiar with, no. with those events? So in 1978, a group, uh, a group of boys from a, a very, a very conservative boys' school, sort of mm. a chain of very conservative boys' schools, they went on a canoeing expedition on Lake mm. Temiskaming, which borders Quebec and Ontario. 
and a lot of stuff went wrong. You know, it's 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 actually a really interesting book. It's a quick read again. Deep Deep Waters by James Raffin. But one boy survived. Uh, well, I should say a number of boys survived. Something some like twelve or twelve or fourteen of them passed. They did not mm. survive. It's a nightmare. The book, like when when the canoe started tipping, it's a nightmare. Mm. But one of the boys survived because his father started to have nightmares as the date of his trip approached. And he, as I recall, he was telling his wife, you know, he's not like something's going to happen. And you know, his wife was kind of like, no, that's silly. Um, because there's also a very sort of Christian kind of edge to this, which doesn't really believe in these kinds of things. Mm. Or as I understand it, it's not really part of the, the theology, but they actually got so far as to go to the drop-off point with their mm. son. And the father finally just snapped and he said, nope, absolutely not. He threw all the son shit back in the car, said to his son, get in the car. And from what I understand, uh, the scout leaders or uh, the schoolmasters were very, very pissed off about this. They were very vocal, you know. Mm. Your son's going to grow up with no spine because it was one of those schools that seems to think like beating the shit out of kids gives them character. Oh, great. Yeah. 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 A fine tradition of idiocy. But anyways, <laughs> well, they, yeah. were gi- they were giving him shit for it. Yeah, right. They're giving him shit for this thing. Oh, you know, your kid's going to grow up to be, uh, you know, he's going to be a podcaster or something. <laughs> going to grow up loving Bigfoot. That's right. You want that on your conscience. But consequently, he survived. Because of these nightmares his father had. And it just got me thinking, you know, again, that's the person again, like, don't go in. What a what a curse mm. knowledge in those kind of situations. Because if you start if you don't do the thing and it doesn't happen, mm. people are gonna look at you like you're nuts because yeah. you didn't it nothing happened. You made a big fuss out of nothing. Mm. But if you go through, who knows whether you come out the other side or not. Yeah. Yeah. There's a brilliant uh two part episode of Unexplained. Richard right. McLean Smith, and he sure. covers the Abafan tragedy. Oh, okay. And he covers the premonitions. I mean, one of the one of the mothers found a drawing that one of the children had done, and it was just a child covered under a big black oh slab gosh. and stuff. It's it, there are weird things, and you think, well, maybe one, perhaps it's people misremembering or or wishful thinking or grief overriding sure. it. But there's there's more than one. I think there's at least six or seven. Um, so if you don't know anything about it and you've got a, a strong stomach, because it is a very emotional, tragic story that happened, you know, 56 years, I think 67, 66, 67, other fan about this time of year as well, sadly. Um, and it's a tragedy that perhaps isn't as remembered as much as it should be in the United Kingdom. It certainly is in, in Wales and the communities surrounding the area. But if you have a strong stomach and you want to learn more about it and and the ramifications and the awful events of that particular morning, then Richard McLean's wonderful show, Unexplained, covers it from about uh, about a couple of years ago. So if you check his podcast feed out, you'll be able to dive into it. And I recommend it highly as most of Richard's episodes as well. And we'll try to remember to put a link to that in the show notes as well. The Waitress. Back in the mid-80s, I would visit the Queen Mary in Long Beach frequently. My girlfriend at the time was an entertainer and we used to go to their cocktail lodge after her performances. This particular experience happened sometime in 1983, but it wasn't until years later, when I was watching a TV show about paranormal activity, that I realised what had happened. My girlfriend and I were sitting in the cocktail lounge by a large piano. It was late. I remember a beautiful brunette woman in an ornate lacy white dress coming around the left corner and up to our table. 
She stood directly in front of us, saying nothing. I surmised she was there to take our order, so I told her what we wanted, and she continued to just stand there. I remember commenting that she was a good server because she didn't have to write the order down. I also commented on how beautiful her dress was, and she smiled at me. She then turned away behind the partition and left. I took particular attention in the way in which she left. It was graceful as if she was floating. I even made a comment to my girlfriend about how milky white her skin was. About a few minutes later, a waitress came to our table and I told her I'd already given my order to the lady in the white dress. She just looked at me stunned. I'll never forget it. It wasn't until years later that I heard about the lady in the white dress on the Queen Mary. She was there, and I met her. She didn't walk away. She floated away. This really happened, and I just wanted to share this. So can we just talk about how garbage this guy is? <laughs> just the worst example of a patron in a bar. Oh, you don't have to write that down, eh? I'm subtly implying that I think you should write that down. Oh, you look. your dress is really great, baby. Come on, guy. Your girlfriend. And then his girlfriend. Hey, check out her milky white skin. You fucking weirdo. <laughs> well, to be fair, it sounds like he's describing a vampire to me. He's very lucky she didn't bite him. Well, I, I wish he had, frankly. Mm. Well, he deserved it. Yeah. And it actually reminds me of uh, Nick, when she got her Canadian license, she did a couple lessons. And I have to be very circumspect about this, but the company I'd done my driver's lessons with, I had the best possible teacher. He's a naval officer who just was in like semi-retired at that point. So he needed something to do. And he trained me, like he taught me very well. This guy trains people on the simulator at the, at the naval yard, very capable guy. So when Nick went, she was hoping to get him. She didn't. And the guy she did get was the, the owner of the business. And he was the creepiest motherfucker. <laughs> on the planet. And he actually commented, I believe, on both her hair and her skin as she was driving. And, and Nick is a hard, she's, she's hard to perturb. But mm. she came back and she said, I'm not taking another lesson with that fucking creep. So yeah, I think this guy and uh, the fellow from our story must be on the same mailing list. <laughs> I will say though, after um, what uh, Craig said about the freight elevator being so mm. close to the, uh, the dining area, I do wonder if this was a performer, knowing that there were performers kind of moving around there. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes the Queen Mary frustrating to cover is because, you know, they, they really leaned into this, you know, like all this, uh, most of the stories we're going to be sharing here, especially after, you know, kind of getting the straight dope from Craig, it's kind of tough to fully go, oh yeah, like I believe this happened because a lot of them sound like, eh, this could have just been a performer. And he sort of, like he said, because first he said, you know, it was like she floated. And then it was just, then she floated, you mm -hmm. know, and then there's a ghost. And you kind of see how that mythologizing starts to happen in your own mind, right? Mm. So, yeah, on this show, listeners, usually we're pretty adamant about making sure these things are true stories, but I think we're just going to enjoy the stories on this one and not think too hard. I mean, we'll still call bullshit, but we're not going to think too hard because if we did, we'd be tough turfing out all the stories and then just talking about the werewolf by night trailer. And no one wants that. <laughs> <laughs> not jim a few years ago i stayed on the queen mary for a weekend with my mom sister and stepdad to celebrate my mom's birthday we're all somewhat enthused by the paranormal so we decided to take a ghost tour of the famously haunted ship 
Honestly, there were countless bizarre things that happened on that tour, but the scariest part was what happened in a notoriously haunted stateroom. This is a room that had previously been for guests to stay in, but eventually stopped allowing guests to stay in it. Okay, so this is B340, this is bullshit, and completely stripped it down because of how many guests were reporting terrifying experiences in it. Of course, as Craig said, that is incorrect. Our tour group was led into the room, and the tour guide started talking about the reported experiences in the room and gave a name to the reported entity who inhabited it. I don't remember the name, so for the sake of the story, let's say it was Jim. The tour guide kept saying, Jim this and Jim that, and out of nowhere, I started to feel totally enraged. I'm talking violently enraged. I wanted to tackle someone and beat them senseless, and I'm normally a completely nonviolent and passive person. Over and over in my head, unrelentingly, all I could think was, my name is not Jim. My name is not Jim. I couldn't stop. I was so angry. I was getting dizzy. I was nauseous. I felt totally overwhelmed, like I was going to collapse or kill someone. It was one of the worst paranormal experiences I've ever had. I ended up walking out of the stateroom before the tour group was moving on, and as soon as I did, the feeling released. It was unforgettable. I think whatever lives in that room truly had a hold of me. And so, like I said, you know, Craig sort of helped us pick apart the legend of room B340, which is a huge part of all these bullshit YouTube videos. But I do think it's possible that, you know, like the Borden house, you know, when I stayed at the Borden house, uh, you know, I, I chatted to that psychic, there's something there. But I don't believe it has anything to do with the Bordens. And I, I think it's possible that this person, maybe there is something there that has come to whatever. It's attracted to the energy. It's attracted to the number of people. And maybe it got real pissed off because, by God, my name's not Jim. Mm. I would suspect I think there's more to that than if you, they said, oh, we saw something happening in the room or this was going off or that we saw something move. But the fact that they have this overwhelming feeling envelop them tends for me to think that there is more to that. And because it's not connected with the room, I'm interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know that I've never had an experience like that. I don't think I've ever had like a, a chat, aside from the one time I smoked salvia. I apparently, <laughs> I, I don't remember much of it, but the people I was with said I, I had sort of like a strange channeling almost attitude or, or like speech. Like a, it was like, I was speaking, but something was speaking through me. But again, I have very little memory of that. Mm. Was it Peter James? <laughs> Maybe. Only one way to find out. I'll go smoke salvia again. <laughs> it was a long time ago, as listeners. Long time ago. What I think is great about that about that room, though, is like how the, it's such a great example. And I think that's probably one of the, the great takeaways from this episode is how these things can become a feedback loop. You know, like one person will say something. Or, you know, uh, it'll, like a, a certain thing will be done as a joke or, or as a promotional thing. But over time, it gets picked up as a real thing. So, for example, in the case of room B340, again, as Craig said, that room was actually kind of designed to produce a paranormal experience. You know, they piped in music and they had like gizmos that would produce like, knocks on the wall and things like this. Mm. And that became known as the haunted room, despite the fact that it was never actually haunted. You know, their marketing department did such a great job that people just took it up wholesale and were like, oh, yeah, no, that's that's a real thing. And it, it's just a funny way to have entertainment because, I, again, I got to be totally honest. I, I can't imagine wanting to do that. Like a real haunted room. Well, sure. I mean, not my first choice, but I'll take I'll sleep there. But like this room is designed to be like having shitty roommates. You know, there's someone <laughs> laughing next door. There's someone kicking the wall. This just seems like a bad deal. 
Yeah, shared accommodation in the nineties, huh? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's a, yeah, uh, while you were watching Candyman, there's someone kicking <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> Damn that down! Never. <laughs> Your Sneak. mother sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> oh, that's way better than anything I was going to say. <laughs> uh, speaking of horrific entertainment, um, I had a great li- an email from a listener named Tabitha. And Tabitha, thank you very much for getting in touch. Of course, we just dropped the last episode of Transmissions from the Void, or, or the, the latest episode of Transmissions from the Void, our series of horror audio dramas. And I designed it. So that the wraparound segments, they're always different, but they are, they're like a number station. So Rachel from Hexagram, she does, she provides the voice and then I run it through a couple filters and, and kind of set it over a bunch of noise. And of course, real number stations quite often have like these sort of very innocent sounding tunes, <laughs> which also have the knock on effect of because of the, the environment being very creepy. They're not intentionally creepy. They just sound creepy. Mm. And so, because of context. And so, um, I wanted to incorporate that. So, uh, I had considered using the Lincolnshire Poacher because obviously that was a number station for a very Mm. long time, which played the tune, the Lincolnshire Poacher. And I thought, well, you know, no, it's a little obvious. You know, if you know number stations, you're going to know the Lincolnshire Poacher. So, I thought, okay, like an ice cream truck. Let's let's use that. So, I I went on freesound.org. I found this uh, very great... A uh, clip of an ice cream truck tune from Mexico City. Put it in there. Sounds creepy. Does exactly what I wanted to do. Boom. Put it out. Well, Tabitha sent us an email after Havoc dropped the most recent one, and I did not know this, but that particular tune, which is used in ice cream trucks, like I said, this was Mexico City. So this is this is not just America. It's based on a minstrel tune, like from blackface shows, Ooh. and. Yeah, apparently this was a thing. It, like the, the tune itself is much older, but the reason it's on ice cream trucks is because these minstrel shows, these blackface shows were very popular in America because, you know, American history is a nightmare. And ice cream shops played these popular tunes. And so when the trucks started going out, they just were playing those tunes. And so now I have to find a different tune. <laughs> Because this ice cream jingle has this terrible history. And again, I'm glad Tabitha told me. And I'm sure there's listeners going out there going, oh, it doesn't matter. It's woke bullshit. That's you I say. I don't care. But obviously, I can't keep using it because now I know, right? That's one thing I didn't know. But now I know. Mm. And uh, I just thought, what a nightmarish way to find entertainment. Like, I I, I mean, again, every, I know every country has its shit, right? So I'm not necessarily singling out America. But um, just to, to find, I didn't realize those shows were as popular as they were. So I, that was, yeah, that was a learning experience is what that was. But uh, again, thanks, Tabitha, for putting me onto that. And I'm, I'm working with Jerry now from Rainy Days on a new, a new jingle that does not have a terrifying, despicable history. <laughs> Except that it originates with me. Like, that's pretty despicable on its own. But, you know, historically, it's not objectionable. Well, it's, it's a week for weird noises anyway, isn't it? How's that? Have you seen the footage of the American Airlines intercom flight? No. <laughs> Do tell. So apparently somebody was on a, an American Airlines flight the other day and the intercom system went balmy. Okay. And uh, it was just making really weird noises. Like it went, like that. And this guy's filming it and he's, he's just cracking up because it's hilarious. And the 
crew were going up and down just telling people we don't know what's going on and they didn't know what was happening um and they were saying oh well we think it's a prank but if you if you just look for the american airlines the guy's done a uh he's recorded it and he's obviously talking to other passengers oh, what's going on here and just hear these weird noises they'll be like we're coming in and then it'll just stop and then it'll go, <laughs> holy christ it's brilliant hilarious I, I, from a distance yeah if that was me though i'd be bricking it <laughs> well this this was going on while they were flying oh yeah i know that's why i'd be bricking it <laughs> I'm barely holding it together up in the air as it is. They just lifted the mask mandate on Canadian flights, so I'm going to be terrified. And now in addition to worrying about being terrified for totally normal reasons, now I have to worry that Sasquatch has commandeered the plane. Mm. Well, we've all seen uh, 30,000 feet. What is that film called? The William oh, Shatner one. Oh, uh, Terror at 30,000 feet. <laughs> well, at least the gremlin never got on the fucking intercom, though. He just terrified William Shatner. I mean, let's face it, Shatner deserves it. Yeah, yeah. There's that other one as well, isn't there, where they've got like a demon in the hold. Oh, that one I don't know. And it's killing everybody. I mean, there's that, that vampire movie you told me about, Blood Red Sky. I still haven't seen that. Oh, that's really good. Brilliant German really? film. Okay, I got to see that. A comforting lie. It was the early 1990s, and Disney had recently purchased the Queen Mary and started conducting ghost tours of the ship. At the time, my father was the manager of the hotel portion of the attraction and was a complete skeptic. That didn't stop him from telling us stories at the dinner table about how maids would quit regularly after having encounters, or cleaning a room and ducking out to get fresh towels, and coming back to find the room had been completely trashed. He found it amusing, at least until the afternoon that my sister, my college roommate and I decided to take the ghost tour. He set us up with a tour group with several other tourists, and we followed the guide around as he told us about the history of the vessel as well as stories about the strange things that had taken place on the ship. There were no special effects or people in costumes. It just wasn't that kind of tour. I remember the first class poker room he told a story about a reappearing bloodstain on the floor that was still visible. They would clean it, change the carpet, etc. And the stain would always return. That creeped me out big time. But the scariest was yet to come. He took us down to the first class swimming pool where a little girl's spirit is often seen. We were standing on the stairs at one end of the pool, with the dressing rooms at the far end. I noticed that my sister and my roommate were whispering loudly to each other. They turned to me and asked me if I had seen the man at the other end of the pool, but I had not. They both described him as an older gentleman with a white beard and navy-coloured clothing standing near one of the tiled columns. I looked, but I didn't see anybody. They both said he had just disappeared. My sister was very upset and asked the tour guide who the man was and where he had gone. The tour guide assured her that there was no one in this area of the ship and it was restricted. We walked down the stairs to the right-hand side of the pool, down the side and through the dressing rooms in the back and exited on the other side where they had seen the man. There was no way for him to get out of the area without him passing by us. After the tour, we went directly to my father's office. My sister was extremely anxious and freaked out. She told my father the story, and he told her that it was probably a maintenance man, and that he would make some calls and find out. Never mind the fact that now Disney owned the property, employees were not allowed to have facial hair. Later that night, my father came home from work, 
and my sister confronted him straight away about whether he had found out if there was a maintenance man down in the pool area. He told her that yes, there had been a man down there, and she calmed down. Fast forward a few years later, and we're talking about other creepy encounters, and my sister starts to joke about the ghost she saw on the Queen Mary. We all started to laugh, and my father sheepishly states that he had just told her that there was a maintenance man there to calm her down. Any maintenance would have had to have been scheduled after the tours were done for the day. He had contacted security to make sure no one had snuck down there, and they didn't find a soul. So that I, I included that for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, of course, is just a you know, good ghost story. But um, two, it, when I was putting together the manuscript for Strange 2, I was reminded of a story or a series of stories that we covered way back on episode 16 of Ghost Story Guys. And it was, it was the men who are not there. Hmm. And this actually sounds very similar to that because the story was um, I went to go visit a friend of mine uh, who lives up in the Blankensop Valley uh, mm. here in, back in Victoria. And, you know, he's the kind of guy we would see each other for once or twice a year, have coffee, catch up, you know. And usually he was the one making the plans. But for whatever, for whatever reason, it worked out that I made a plan with him this time and uh, I went out to his place. And for the first hour, we just kind of shot the breeze. Um, but I felt like there was something I was supposed to ask him. I wasn't totally sure what. Hmm. And then finally, I I remember asking him, I said, has anything weird happened lately? You know, like spooky-wise. And nothing had. But then he offhand mentioned the men in boiler suits. And now, of course, for the listeners who've been listening for a long time, you'll remember one of my, it was, a, it was just a dream. You know, I, I was very much a dream. But I had this dream about Revelstoke once where I was walking with a friend. And it was nighttime. Uh, it was two friends, actually. And we got to this grocery store. One friend wanted to go into the store to get a drink. So he went in, and the other friend and I stood outside. And there was a bit of a breeze. And as the breeze blew, it was like there, we noticed there was like there was a gossamer curtain across the road to our left. Mm. So we walked closer to it. And the curtain had sheer panels. And, and on the panels was the street as we were seeing it, which was empty. But there was something happening behind them. And on the opposite side was the street, but it was full. It was bathed in light. There was all these um, machines. It looked like a movie set almost. There were these big, big floodlights and uh, I said big like generator looking things. But even more bizarrely, there were these man-sized praying mantis looking things walking around working on the machines. Mm-hmm. And I remember them making these chittering noises, I think. And, and they were just like, again, they weren't sinister, but they were clearly working on the power on the power lines and the lights. And I saw two of them conferring and they seemed to be like looking at something like a clipboard almost or some kind of some kind of document. And then one of them saw me and it, it made this like alarmed sound, as I recall. And then all of a sudden they were men. It, like, mm-hmm. it was like snap and they were men and they were wearing coveralls. They were wearing boiler suits and they were doing the same stuff. They had hard hats. They were looking at clipboards. They were checking the lights, all this crap, right? So again, I woke up. It was a dream, whatever. But then this day, I'm talking to my friend and he mentions the men in boiler suits. And I said, I'm sorry. And he said, well, yeah. He said, when I was a, when I was a kid, he grew up in Victoria. He grew up in this uh, little piece of farmland, which is much more developed now, but it is uh, sort of in a little bit further north in, I guess, the part of town called Saanich. 
but it backs on this marsh. And he remembers from up until he was about five or six, he remembers seeing these men in boiler suits wandering around his property with clipboards. Sometimes, sometimes they appeared to be like conferring with each other. They appeared to be talking about stuff, looking at things, observing the family through the windows and no one ever reacted. So we didn't think anything of it. Mm. But he said, even more bizarrely, sometimes they would parachute in from the sky. Oh. And they would often congregate at the very end of the property, which is a marsh. So it was like there was something about the marshland that they were very interested in. Hmm. And then one day he finally asked his mom, he said, mom, why do these guys, why are those men here? Like, what, what do they want? It just seems weird. It seems weird they're hanging around. And his mom looked straight at him and said, there's no men. And that was the last time he saw him. So I, in the process of, of learning about this, I was talking to Peter, of course, uh, Peter Kursava, Pizanta Music, who created all our, our theme songs. And I mentioned this offhand and Peter said, oh yeah, you see them all the time here in Moscow. He said, people talk about them. No one really knows what they do, but you see them quite often at night. They wear boiler suits. They seem to be working on things, but they don't work for anyone that we're aware of. And they're just kind of, it's just kind of accepted. And supposedly there's a story about a lost, allegedly a lost train in Moscow, a lost commuter train. And supposedly people will sometimes hear the train coming, but when it arrives, there's no train. But according to Peter, sometimes the train arrives and it's full of these men in boiler suits. <laughs> So I don't know, could be, could be a coincidence, but hearing the story, you know, I mean, I know, again, you know, there's no Jackie floating around the pool area, but this mm. kind of sounds like, I mean, again, you would say, oh, it's just a spooky maintenance man, but maybe not. Maybe it's one of the men in the boiler suits. Have you heard anything like this? I mean, you must have in your vast readings and, and watchings. No. Really? Yeah. I never come across anything like that. Not that I'm aware of. Fascinating. Well, yeah, that's what that's what this kind of kind of put me in mind of. I mean, I know um, UFO contact Elor has a uh, sort of a history with um, mantises. Does it? Oh, not? they're everywhere. They're yeah. everywhere. Ironically, I was watching something this week, and it was talking to people who had been abducted by mantises. Oh, really? Hmm. And what top, was... le top level alien threat? The mantis. Oh, of course. What did they abduct them for? I assume they wanted to show them their etchings. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, I don't. I mean. Terry Lovelace is probably one of the most famous. Oh, I didn't. Uh, I, I've listened to that show. I, I forgot it was a mantis. Um, yeah, the, the one in charge was a mantis. Usually the most tense abduction experience stories will feature a mantis of giant proportions. Interesting. And when you say giant, you mean like human size? Or are we talking like King Kong? Like eight, nine foot. Oh, okay. Tall. tall. Oh, that's, Inse that's big insectoid, enough. yeah. Yeah. They used to be insectoids, and now they're mantises, a lot of them, which is quite a distinct-looking creature. I mean, I, it depends on how, how good you are with naming things, because, I mean, I could easily see myself going, yeah, it's like an insect, and it's a praying mantis, because, you know, I, me and the natural world are not close. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this is true. This is true. I mean, there are people who don't know scorpions or arachnids, but that's how life is. And then you've got this, this kind of combi combining the two. It's like the camel spider or something. Oh, yeah. Another famous urban myth that ran out of control. So that's not a real thing? Oh, they are, but they don't chase you and scream and don't grow to enormous sizes. Well, okay. I wasn't thinking of that. I did not realize people thought that. That is stupid. Oh, no. There was a very famous urban myth about them that appeared on the internet whoa, 15 years ago. And it was when GIs were out during... Uh, the war out there 
and these reports, somebody did a photo and it ended up, it was two that were mating, but they were trying to purport that oh. it was one. And the, the, the story about them was that they would, they would hide in your shadow and they would chase you down and shriek oh, and leap Lord. on you. Basically, they were like facehuggers for Alien. Because <laughs> they do look a bit like a facehugger. They do. They're a particularly unsettling creature. Um, but yeah, they're nowhere near as vicious as, as, as made out or as large. Thank God for that. I, you know, so, Paul, I got to say, I, I love about doing the show with you. We can go from uh, <laughs> weird childhood memories to mantis people to uh, camel spiders. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's one of those myths about spiders. Like the bird-eating spider, they think most people think they don't actually eat birds. It was just that when one was sought, when the first time one was spotted, there was a bird stuck in its nest. Uh, uh, sorry, there was a bird stuck in its web. And that's right. why bird-eating spiders are called bird-eating spiders. Nobody actually thinks that they live purely on birds, but when it was identified, there was a bird in its web. Well, I'm going to go sell some of my firearms because I don't need them anymore. <laughs> it's one of those wonderful things you, you learn about arachnids when you're weird. You know, like uh, tarantulas are the only ones that vocalize. They vocalize? Yeah, they hiss like snakes. I didn't know that. I've held a tarantula. He did not hiss. Maybe he liked me. Yeah, and, and usually it's tarantula. It's not the bite. It's the hair, isn't it? That's the biggest danger to you. Right, the urticating hairs, yeah. Thankfully, the one I held did not did not have such abilities. But I, I'm, I went to a bug zoo to hold this thing. And I know that they that when I walked in there, it was the first time I'd been, and I'm shit terrified of spiders. So when I saw, the first thing I saw was like a fucking, it's a rose hair tarantula. And that mm. has the urticating hairs. I'm looking at the, and I'm looking at the info sheet, and I'm thinking, am I supposed to hold this fucking thing? <laughs> It throws hair knives? I'm not touching this guy. And then, yeah, no, the real one you hold is much smaller and mm. does not throw hairs like tiny daggers. Yeah, yeah. I always used to shave them for B-movies as well. Really? Yeah, they shaved them to make them. Apparently, they think that they look more aggressive if they've got shaved, shaved their legs. I don't even know where to go with that. Kinky B-movies? I don't know. <laughs> On that note, we're going to take a quick break to pay the bills, and we'll be right back. Another Woman in White When I was a kid, my dad and I used to go to the Queen Mary in Long Beach, California. We could walk around and explore the ship, which was always very exciting to me. There had been rumors for years about hauntings on the ship, which eventually led to them hosting Halloween Haunt starting in the early 2000s. This, however, happened in the mid-90s. My dad and I had been walking around down below in what is called Shaft Alley, a series of gangways located down in the boiler room. Each gangway bridges the right and left sides of the ship, providing a single direct path from one end to the other. As you walk across, you can look down and see all of the ship's machinery down below. While we were walking, we noticed a small, stout, elderly woman dressed in all white walking towards us. I'll never forget her face. I'll never forget her face. I was struck by her expression. She had a look of confused terror as she locked eyes on us and slowly staggered in our direction, careful in her steps. She stopped in front of us and in a soft British accent asked my dad, Excuse me, sir, could you please tell me the way out of here? We were a bit taken aback by her question because the exit sign was directly behind us about 20 feet away. My dad told her, Sure, just walk straight back this way and pointed to the exit sign at the end of the gangway. She then looked over, fixed her eyes on me and said, Thank you. Not breaking eye contact, she passed us on that narrow path and started making her way slowly towards the exit. We took a few steps in the opposite direction, then, struck by how strange the interaction was, looked at each other, then looked immediately back. She was gone. 
Now, keep in mind, the exit was about 20 feet away. She was moving at a slow pace, and we could not have had our backs turned for more than a few seconds. The gangway is made of a heavy metal grating, so if she had run, we would have heard her footsteps pounding towards the exit. There was no place for her to go. My dad, who's usually skeptical about ghosts and spirits, is still to this day perplexed at what we saw. Now, the strange thing about Shaft Alley is when people see, because Shaft Alley is the corridor that leads to the propeller shaft room right. on the Queen, Queen Mary. It's an unfortunate name, but that's just how it is. More sure. innocent times, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, most people see a man in overalls in Shaft Alley. Oh, interesting. With a beard. Oh, so there we go. Our friend from the previous story. Mm-hmm. But yes, yes, I was very in, in, impressed with your restraint there, of the British accent. Yeah, well, you know, I, I have a, a British accent that I use for my Nikki voice, you know, because <laughs> obviously for listeners who don't know, who don't know, Nikki is English. Um, and so all our friends have a, a quote, Nikki voice. But I, I try not to bring it out, you know, too often because, you know, she'll divorce me. So I try to keep myself <laughs> under control. <laughs> I, I got to say, though, that the whole shaft thing um, really kind of this, this is how it's starting to show my age. Because when I say when I see Shaft, I think Richard Roundtree, you know, who's a sex machine to all the chicks. Um, yes. But in Victoria, and I don't know if it's elsewhere, but I know in Victoria, there is now a drink called the Shaft, right? Which has got like I don't know, it's, it's creamy and Kahlua. I don't fucking, I have no idea what's in it. I don't care. But um, it's for people who can still burn calories, mm-hmm. so they can afford to have a bunch of creamy shit and stuff they're drinking all night. Oh, good for them. Uh, right? Good on them. <laughs> So someone says like, oh, I was, you know, I I was at the shafts all night. I'm like, well, all right, that's good for you. And then I I have to kind of go, no, 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 you're talking about the creamy drink, which isn't better, but I suppose is, you know, at least it's not what I thought. Well, obviously it's got a very different term here in the UK. (laughs) I'm sure it does. Hmm. Uh, Which is rather rude. Yes. Well, no, that's it. That it means that here too. We've just apparently have decided like, no, no, it's a drink now. I'm not convinced. I am part of a previous generation. Hmm. Mm. Well, it's good to see some British imports are, are being taken on board by our former colonists. Good on you. I, I do have the wife, you know. That, that <laughs> she didn't hear that, right? <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's very interesting that they would have, I mean, that's one of those things, old lady with an English accent. But I think the thing that strikes me about that experience is the fact that it's one of those where the ghost seems scared. Yeah, that's it's that's interesting. And it, it does bear a similarity to a story from the Empress in Victoria, which is where allegedly there, there, there used to be a room. It was quite haunted. And so they, they I think they turned it into an elevator shaft for the, um, there we are, uh, for the, uh, the upper floor or whatever. Like they just got rid of the room completely. And the story goes that this, periodically you'll find this older woman wandering, looking for her room. And she'll knock on doors and things like this. Of course, I've never seen it because I've never really been in the Empress very much, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's again, it's just it's like this archetypal ghost coming up again and again. Am I dead? No, I don't want to be the one to have to tell you with that information. <laughs> yeah, they're the, they're the encounters that always raise the hair on, on the back of my neck when a ghost says, yeah. am I dead? Oh, yeah. Yep, did it to me right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm lost. Yeah. Why am I here? Oh, I ask that myself all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's scary for a different reason. <laughs> a neat trick. 
My oldest boy, 10 years old now, has always been into large ships, the Titanic being his favourite. After watching a popular YouTuber explore the Queen Mary, it's become a close second. Once we discovered you could stay on the ship, we decided to make a family vacation out of it. As I was checking in, my oldest boy, who was eight at the time, asked if we could have the most haunted room. She says something to the effect of, I believe we can arrange that. We finish checking in, go to our room, and finish the night doing some exploring of the ship and a little ghost hunting for the kids. Cut to 6.30ish the next morning. I awoke to my oldest boy making his way to the bathroom, so I made a comment to my wife about him always being the first one up and was about to fall back asleep. All of a sudden, there was an extremely powerful knock on the bathroom door, startling me awake again, and I started shushing my boy. My boy starts to respond with, It's not me, followed by more knocking. I slow rolled in the direction of the door, which is around six to eight feet away, and I'm looking at it confused. My wife asks under her breath if I could tell if it was Lucian or not. As she did, another three heavy clear knocks came from the door, about where I would knock. And to be clear, I stand six foot three, and a knock on the door at shoulder height. My kid ran out of the bathroom panicked, and I quizzed him about where he heard the knock. He confirms it came from the door as well. I spent the next 20 minutes trying to replicate the sound with no look. I knocked on the bathroom door, and it sounded completely different. I knocked on the room door, walls, ceiling, and anything else in the general area. All different. A few other things happened that night. There was a sort of metal-on-metal -metal noise in the empty room next to us and other crazy noises. I really want to believe in the paranormal, and this experience is the closest thing to happen to me and my family. But I can't help but think because my boy asked for a haunted room. Did they give us one rigged with a neat trick? And so I, I'm of two minds on this because obviously, as Craig said, room B340 was was rigged up to provide that experience. But he's then he's of course said that it was all those mechanisms were taken out. Mm. So we don't know for sure. But I will say, if you're a, a clerk in a hotel and a family's checking in and you have a room that's all tuned up to scare the shit out of people. Maybe don't assign that room on the basis of a little kid saying something, <laughs> you know, we want to be scared. Well, all right, we're going to put you in the nightmare room. We're not going to tell your parents, though. <laughs> Seems irresponsible. Have you, have you seen Poltergeist? Well, you're going to live it, little boy. And, uh, you know, for only an upcharge of $150 a night. Hmm. I mean, I'm always as well, you know, if, if these rooms are so notorious, I always find it hard to believe that they're empty when people turn up. Yes. So um, how many really haunted rooms can it have? Yeah, that's it. I mean, I, like reading, when I first read the story, I thought, okay, so this person is humoring this kid, you know? Oh, I think we can arrange that. But again, if then you put them in like the nightmare factory, you're kind of a dick. <laughs> well, the little kid said he wanted to be scared. Yeah, the little kids say a lot of shit, man. They want to have jam for dinner. Like, <laughs> I get it. I want to have jam for dinner too, but you can't do that. <laughs> yes, we'll just put you in the Amherst suite. <laughs> the Tormentatorium. <laughs> yeah. Please make sure you use all the fire blankets provided. <laughs> all right. So for our last set of stories, we have just a bunch of little bits what we thought might be fun to, to break up the pace a little bit. These are just sort of a handful, you know, one paragraph encounters kind of culled from comment sections of websites and, and things like this. Just thought it'd be fun to uh, 
a kind of a broader cross section of stories from the Queen Mary in addition to the longer ones. So, uh, Paul, why don't you uh, why don't you lead us off here? I certainly will. I shall be delighted to do so in that theatrical voice. I'm very impressed. Very theatrical. Thank you. Especially considering it's like midnight there. <laughs> it's when I come alive. <laughs> Me too. Weird. <laughs> I've not been the same since I watched those killer vampire bats. I stayed there in middle school for a friend's birthday party. We heard keys down hallways and could see straight down to the ends, but no one was there. We heard a little girl giggling near the pool room. The bathrooms were weird too, and one of us heard a heavy sigh, but saw no feet under the stalls. Oh, that's an oldest, the oldest trick in the book. You're going to have a bathroom cry. You got to put your feet up so people can't see who it is. <laughs> my husband and I stayed at the Queen Mary in the early 2000s. We were celebrating our anniversary and my birthday. It was November and we had most of the ship to ourselves. We went to the bar for a nightcap and to listen to the band. I went to the ladies' room. It was empty, except me. I then heard the toilet paper roll in the stall next to me go crazy, like someone was trying to get a bunch of toilet paper off the roll. I then saw the cardboard roll being thrown out under the stall. I looked over and under the stall and saw no one was in there. I couldn't believe it. And that is stones. Can I say just that? That is brass balls to be like, well, let's have a peek under and see who's in there. And what, <laughs> like, imagine what you might have seen. Hmm. I don't think this lady thought that move through. No. I do like a good toilet ghost. <laughs> sure. There aren't many of them, but they are always met me. There's one not far from here in, uh, I think, is it, is it in Worksop or is it Retford in Nottinghamshire? And there's one in there where they, they've got a flushing a, fl- a pub there. It's got a toilet ghost that flushes it. And it's not just like a water level thing? No, no, it's one of those you've got to flush it. Oh, okay. The Phantom Flusher. Yeah. And obviously my haunted house, we had a, f- a flushing ghost. Yeah, that was for like the, the dinner bell. And now yeah. we begin. Dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> when, you write the, when you write your screenplay, and that's going to be a chilling part of it. <laughs> the Flusher. My mom had an uncle who worked on the Queen Mary in the 1970s as a custodian. He would hear unsettling things here and there, but nothing he couldn't shake off. The pool area was particularly creepy, according to him. He ended up quitting his job on the spot the day he saw a man standing in a doorway he was trying to go through, who appeared to be missing the lower half of his body entirely. I've had an interaction with one of these spirits. She didn't want anything to do with the group I was with, and was very melancholy from the impression I got. She also expressed that she did not like the tours, because they made her feel like a sideshow freak. I do wonder about that in cases where you've got conscious, you know, conscious haunting someone who's like survived. I I remember hearing a story um, about some people who went on like a ghost hunting thing and they actually found something in a bathroom and this thing kept saying, help me, but they just, they were so titillated by just having found it that they never even bothered to help the thing. They were just Hmm. very, you know, impressed they had turned up anything at all, which I thought was kind of a, I don't know, seemed like kind of a dick move to me. Well, that is one of those questions about life after death and the the concepts of hauntings and ghosts that when we do come across these cases where people, where spirits or ghosts seem to be aware of exactly what's happening, what does that really say about the whole phenomenon? Yeah. We had this conversation on a recent episode, you know, like what does all this say about death and dying and this the idea that, you know, we used to think that once you die, you know, if, if you consciousness, if consciousness survives, you go to somewhere happy and fluffy and everything's better. But what if it's not? 
you know, what if you can get stuck here just as easily as you can get stuck somewhere else? It's not a very comforting thought. My dad grew up in Long Beach during the 70s and 80s and talked about seeing the woman in white. He told me he would sneak in without paying. Apparently it was easier back then and would sometimes run across people who looked like they were dressed in period era clothing. It wasn't until he ran across a man whose top was fully formed, but whose legs kind of just dissipated that he realized they were spirits. Yeah, that would do it. <laughs> My 11-year-old daughter and I visited the ship back in June. We did the paranormal ship walk and they actually let you go explore before and after the tour. Everything seemed fine except for a few eerie feelings and cold spots in certain hallways. But once we got to the isolation ward, my daughter started to feel not very well. It was enough to where she just wanted to sit down for a bit. Even the engine room was worse for her, and she just wanted to leave since she said she felt sick. It just came on suddenly and was gone once we got outside. We definitely plan to return and stay aboard in the future. And I think the Queen Mary is currently closed. Uh, as Craig, I think Craig might have mentioned this, it, you know, it needs repairs. But also, I believe COVID has been a concern because it's, you know, it's not a very well ventilated space. <laughs> you know, you're staying below decks. It's beautiful. Uh, you know, again, I stayed there for a night in 2018, but there is no air circulation. It is very, very closed in. But uh, if, if you get a chance, I, I think I read they might be opening it again in November. So if you're in the LA area, you want to stay there, keep an eye on the website. It's uh, it's quite a nice place. They're not paying us to say this, if only. But um, it just as a, even as a living museum, setting aside all the ghost stuff, it's just an incredible place to be. You get a That's sense it. of a, a very different style of living. Hmm. I'll be uh, I'll be very glad to uh, represent them if they'd like to fly me there. I'll be more than happy to tell everybody how great it is. I, I second that. <laughs> Especially now it's, I mean, because the last five or six years, it's been an absolute nightmare of the, the people that ended up running it just didn't put any money into it. And so it's been repossessed by the uh, city council. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. They, weren't, they, were t they were basically saying that they were doing all the repairs and they weren't doing anything. Oh, boy. So the ships basically just had nothing done to it for about six years, and that's why they've started to have to take the lifeboats off and stuff because they were just falling to pieces. They were just painting over stuff and, and not right. doing anything. And I think the company that owned them have gone bust. So the lease has reverted back to the uh, to the city council, but they'd only had it four years. I was going to say, when I was there, it all looked very presentable. But of course, you know, I was only there for maybe mm. 24 hours, you know, 36 yeah. hours. So you don't really have a chance to examine things in great detail. But uh, well, again, I hope they can figure it out because it's, it's a beautiful place. It's just, again, it's such a window into a different time mm. that uh, I think it would be a shame to lose it. Yes, definitely. So that has been The Haunting of the Queen Mary. Thanks again to Craig Owens from Bizarre LA for coming on board to uh, help us sort fact from fiction. And again, if you are listening to this on the public feed, you want to hear more from Craig, we spoke to Craig for about an hour and a quarter, and that full interview will be available for patrons as a, just a separate thing entirely. So again, that's patreon.com slash ghost story guys. And you can find him again at bizarrela.com. You can get a copy of his book, Haunted by History, on Amazon or from his website. So thanks, Craig. And now we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. 
On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now, and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it, and make a phone call, or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be, it's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is one 456 4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116123 or text SHOUT, that's S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, please know that we've both been where you are and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks again to Craig Owens from Bizarre LA for taking the time to hang out with us today. Again, you can find his stuff at BizarreLA.com. Thanks also to the rest of the Ghost Story Guys family, Sarah, Luke, Anthony, and Joseph. Don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore, now part of the Connected Podcast Network. That's available on podcast platforms everywhere. And Joseph and I host the Weird Together live stream once a month, where we talk about the latest and greatest in paranormal entertainment. This month, uh, actually, we'll be doing this tonight uh, in about two and a half hours. We <laughs> will be talking about the brand new Shutter Original Saloon, which is a Senegalese uh, action adventure western horror, I guess you might say. It's brilliant. Either way, it's a very, very good movie. I encourage you to watch it regardless of whether or not you watch a stream. Uh, but again, that show is Weird Together, and you can find a link to that in the show notes. And finally, thank you. My friend and co-host, the incomparable Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson, host of Mysteries and Monsters. What is coming up on Eminem, Paul? Well, as we start October, I'm delving into a variety of topics this month. And this week's episode will feature American witch Lisa McSherry talking about her new book, about how to craft it, how to practice your craft, right. and also the rise of Wicca and paganism in North America over the, the course of the 80s and 90s, and just talking about a lot of aspects of, of witchcraft, paganism, and Wicca that I have not really delved into before. So that's a, a good start to the haunted of month, the most haunted of months. I couldn't agree more. And where can everyone find you online? You can find Mysteries and Monsters on all podcast platforms, and we're also on all social media outlets under Mystery Monsters as well. Brilliant. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Largely the Truth. You can find my other show, Largely the Truth, at Brendan's store, everywhere fine podcasts live. And uh, yeah, we're together with Joseph. 
All right. Well, as I said before, if you want to become a patron, head to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We offer a ton of cool stuff for our patrons. There's two weekly bonus shows. There's uh, actually, we haven't done a me and Paul in a long time. We got to do that. There's dozens of hours of content in the catalog. And again, we're always putting out new stuff. Once I get back to Victoria, there will also be the physical rewards. But for now, again, you get tons of bonus shit and you don't have to listen to ads at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. If you've got a story to share, shoot us an email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. If you want to tell us your story, record it using the voice app on your phone and email it to us again, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We've decided to discontinue the ghost line because we found that when people send it in via the voice app on their phone, the quality's so much better and it's just not worth what the ghost line was costing us. So again, if you want to send us a comment, question, or story, email is the best way to do it, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. You can find us on all the major social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter. We actually just got a, a Facebook group finally. So come Ooh. join our Facebook. Yes, sir. Administrated by the lovely folks at Spooks, Creeps, and Assorted Devilry. And so, yeah, <laughs> come join the Facebook group. We're having a lot of fun over there. We're on Twitter as Ghost Story Guys. We're on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys. And we're on TikTok, but not really, at Ghost Story Guys. Any uh, appearances coming up for you, Paul? Uh, no, I'm just going to try and complete as many interviews as I can humanly possible in the month of October. <laughs> I do not envy you this. Yes, I've got tons of books to read. There's two of my favorite authors of brand new books come out this week. So, a new book from Lyle Blackburn. Oh, wow. Bigfoot in Texas. And Ruth Roper Wild has released her latest volume uh, of Roadmap of British Ghosts. But I'm sure you'll hear all about that, perhaps. On October the 31st. Brilliant. If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head to our website at ghoststoryguys.com. Follow the links to our Public and Redbubble stores. We'll have a new design going up here in the Public store pretty soon. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Shout out to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of Jerry Smith. Jerry is a Southern California-based film journalist and composer. You can find more from them at rainydaysforghosts.bandcamp.com or wherever you stream your music. And if you want to hire Jerry, shoot them an email at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizzanta Music. Find more from him at nightharvestrecordings.com or wherever you get your tunes. Our stories theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. Remember, that's Hexagram with two X's, not three. And I guess that's going to do it. Well, we'll be back in two weeks, but until then... Into the darkness we go. I guess there's no time for fucking about now. So. <laughs> Fuck about and find out. You know what you Canadians are like. Get a grip. Yeah, exactly. Oh, look, all my clothes have fallen off. <laughs> Not again. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Paul. That's Oof. okay. <laughs> it's all those shafts. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>